This week, uh, I was looking at some of the things that uh, are going on in our country right now, and obviously we're all kind of, what, what's transpiring in this day? What's, you know, what, where is this headed? Um, you know, there's, COVID was the big news, and now, you know, it's like, well, it's still big news, but it's not quite the same big news that it was, Right? And in some ways, our cities are imploding, and you're just kind of going, okay, but where, where is this going to go? Or what, what's the end point? Or, you know, how does this heal? You know, how does it come back together? And then, then you have a few other things thrown in. You know, the, the hurricane down in Texas, in Louisiana, it's almost little news, where most years it'd be big news. The fires out in California, they've burned over a million acres, or 1.3 right now, and you're kind of going, I haven't even heard about them. Or the, the storm in Iowa, you know. So you've got natural disasters, you've got disease, you've got cities imploding, and it's all like, well, what does, does Scripture apply to this, or what's going on? I'd like to go to Luke chapter 13, because Jesus was dealing with some of these issues. And I want to say... First and foremost, disaster and political turmoil and all that kind of disease are not new issues. These are not brand new things. And so this has been the pattern of, of society for centuries and centuries. And so when we go to the scripture, we're recognizing that this isn't brand new. But God does have things to say about such things. So in Luke chapter 13, the first picture that comes up is that uh, some Galileans, or they were people from Galilee, had had their ruler put them to death, but not only that, he mixed their blood with the sacrifices. So not only was it a horrific death, not only was it a, a, a terrible leader but the question comes up why and in jewish culture the values of sowing and reaping were all through their thought so that even in john 9 when the blind man comes to and seeks healing his disciples are asking jesus well is it because of this man's sin or his parents sin somebody had to sin for this kind of tragedy Jesus is going, no, this is that the glory of God might be revealed. So in this same picture, you know, these people that died, were they worse than everyone else? The question comes out. And what I want to put out to you is that, is, you know, is God involved in the big picture issues or is he, is he involved in the individual things? The short answer is yes. But it's not as simple as what we would make it. Because the big picture is bigger than what we often look. It's not just this life, it's eternal life as well. And so sometimes in the moment, there are really good people that have disasters take place and it destroys their life or even kills them. Or you get into the details, you know, like, like a disease in the moment. And, and sometimes there are good people, there are people who are doing everything in regard to their health and they still die. And you're kind of going, okay, what's this about? And you have to come to terms with the fact that 
we are called to take on an eternal perspective and that sometimes those things don't carry out or even out until we pull that into mind and know that we will be with Christ forever if we have yielded to him. So the question comes up to Jesus, okay, these guys, you know, were they worse than everyone else or why did this happen to them? And Jesus goes, no. Uh, he says, um, you think these Galileans were worse sinners? He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, all will perish as well. It's an interesting return because it's not saying no and just stopping it right there and just saying, no, of course not. They weren't worse than everyone else. But he has a point to make and he says, all must repent. So he is, he is making a declaration and saying, every single one of us has to deal with our sin. Every single one of us needs to turn toward God. All of us have a selfishness about us that seeks our own way and does our own thing, and we have to come to terms with that, and there has to be a willingness to change direction and allow our lives to be dedicated to God. And, you know, going back, and I've mentioned this before, John the Baptist's message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He didn't know the full work of Jesus, but he still knew there had to be a turning of the heart. Jesus' first message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The disciples' first message in Acts chapter 2 is repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. So th this message is tied to the New Testament in a way that you can't escape. So what does that mean to you and I? Well, it might be well to take on repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So what does that mean? That means that each of us has done things that are, are twisted and bent, and yet we're trying to deal with the holy God who isn't twisted or bent. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were driven from the presence of God. That a holy God is establishing, I am not going to live forever with unholy people. And when we come to terms with that and recognize that all through Scripture there is a call for us to turn and yield to God, there's suddenly this overwhelming thing that says, oh, <laughs> that's not good because I'm carrying a lot of junk. And yet the very message of Jesus in coming to earth says that God cares enough to wash away our sin and allow us to re-enter into relationship with him. Now, when I look at that, I don't, I don't pretend to understand all of this about the value of God's blood for me, I, I, even Christ dying for me. I get the idea of somebody paying my price, and I get that Jesus was unique and special as the Son of God, but there's more to it, right? There's, it's bigger than us. And yet, even in this, I look at that and I go, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus did come as the Son of God. I believe that he called me to turn and repent of my sin. But I also believe that I couldn't do enough to achieve that relationship except that he came and intervened. And that's what 
Christ is calling us to. And so even in like this, when I'm suddenly aware of my sin, you know, and it's like the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, came to convict and to reveal righteousness. There is a moment where we suddenly say, unless God does something, I'm in trouble. But even coming out of that, the wonder of the joy is that I truly can be free of these things. And I don't have to worry over them anymore. I don't have to carry that weight. That's incredible. I was listening to a guy this week, and he was, it was, he was, Sustainable Living Circles, uh, Joel Salatin, and he was being asked about COVID, and he's going, well, I'd rather get it and move on, and I, I know that's not politically correct, but he was saying, well, and how do you take care of yourself? And he said, well, get enough sleep, and, and doctors have made that statement. Take care of your nutrition. Get enough hydration. And then his fourth point caught me by surprise. He says, forgive. You know, that doesn't seem to fit with the health things. But, but he, he goes on and he says, we aren't meant to carry the angers of others or the weight that others would have toward us or the wrongs that they've done toward us. He says, we're just not wired for that. You know, you know how it presses you down when, when somebody has wronged you. You know how it presses you down when you're, you know somebody is very angry with you. Or you, you know how it presses you down when you feel unjustly judged. And he's saying, we have to learn how to release that. And I'm going, only in the Lord is that possible. Only through Christ. When I come to terms with the fact that he has released me of my sin, only then am I able to start letting go of others. And saying, you know what? I don't get it. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they have these feelings. I don't know why they you know, came after me in this way, but it's not worth my time. And I will wish no ill will toward them. That's the crucial component, right? I will not wish harm on anyone. Even in this season where we're trying to figure out, you know, the difference in people groups and such, I, I, I tell you this from the bottom of my heart. We cannot go forward unless we're willing to refuse to judge people on the surface. And say, they all do that. They're all like this. This is, how, this is how they act. That's wrong thinking. It's twisted thinking. And, and the only way that we move toward health is to leave the door open for relationships. And to just cut off those feelings that would seize us and say, well, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to get mine. And to just open the hand and say, it's important for me to, to connect. It's important for me 
to act as Christ would have me act. It's important for me to release others. It's important for me to forgive and to accept and to embrace. So back to the, <laughs> I got off topic, sort of. Back to this situation, Jesus is asked, who sinned? He's going, that's not really the issue here. He says, each of us has to turn because we've all sinned. Each of us has to repent before God. There's another example. They say, well, you know, 18 people died in the Tower of Siloam when it fell. And <laughs> that was one of the tragedies of that day. And I guess, you know, it was common knowledge. You know, for us, 18 people is hardly news even. But, you know, for them, it, it, was, a, it was a very big deal. But Jesus comes back to the very same idea. He says, unless you repent, you'll perish. So he's making this declaration, you know, and, and we would say, well, that seems kind of harsh. Well, it's Jesus talking. You know, we don't get to dismiss it because it's, it's Jesus talking, the one who's going to forgive us. But you can't just say, well, Jesus is about love. Yes, he is. But that's why he created a path for us to have reconciliation with him. This chapter goes on, and, and it gives the perspective of the owner of things in a story about a parable about a fig tree. And it says a man planted a vineyard, and he put a fig tree in there. And he came back after three years expecting some kind of produce, and there wasn't anything there. Now, I'm not a fig farmer, never have been a fig farmer, never will be a fig farmer as long as I know. That said, the internet helped me out. <laughs> Apparently, fig trees start producing fairly prolifically from three to five years. And it, it could have been assumed that there would have been a crop that year. And, and the guy's going, why am I wasting time on this tree? It's taking space. And uh, the guy that's taking care of the vineyard, well, give me another year. I'll invest in it, I'll, I'll you know, fertilize stuff, and, and we'll just see. And the guy says, okay, if it produces after that time. And, and in the same way, if you look at God as creator and the one who rules over us, the one who has made us, he's put a certain investment into us. He sent a son. That's an investment. The making of us is an investment. And, and what's being declared is there needs to be a fruit coming out of our lives that's consistent with that investment. And so what that means is that a heart turned toward God and doing what he asks of us is producing the life that he desires and created us for. And so the love that comes from us as a result of Christ's love in us is part of the fruit that he's looking for. The ability and willingness to forgive is part of the fruit that he's looking for. The, the changing of a heart and the willingness to respond to what God has done is, a, is a, a plant, so to speak, that's producing. And so when he's, Jesus is putting this out and saying, the creator has in mind that our lives would yield to him and keep 
with fruit that's in the nature of what he's made us to do. Well, this, this chapter goes on, and Jesus ends up healing a woman that has um, been bent over, it says, by a spirit for 18 years. And he's in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, and he heals her. And the, there are people that get upset over it, of all things. And they're going, you had six days to work. Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds to them. He says, you would water your animals on the Sabbath. Why shouldn't this child of, of God be set free? Why shouldn't she be released? And so even though through this chapter, Jesus is calling us to a behavior that challenges our lives, at the same time, his compassion is going forward even while he's in that setting. Very powerful to me anyway. So there's a, a response that comes out. And somebody asks him, well, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only, you know, you're, you're making it sound like most are not on the track. You're saying unless we repent... We're going to perish. So what happens to the, the, the majority, so to speak? That's a legitimate question that we ask even in our day, right? If God loves the world, why would most people die and perish? Jesus makes this statement. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able once the door is shut some will want in, but will be refused. So he's saying there's a window of time to enter this narrow path, but it's not going to stay open forever. And then he says people are going to say, you know, they're going to be begging, and they're going to be making these declarations. We ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. He says, I don't know where you come from. So the, the, the point is being made. He says, we, we saw you. We were around you. And, and the point is declared, yes, but you never participated. You never walked in. You never stepped through the door. And the challenge for our lives becomes, have we stepped into the presence of God that way? Have we allowed his spirit to bring new life to us? Are we listening for that voice? Preaching is a strange thing, and I, I don't pretend to, to understand it all, but I've been in this gig for a long time, so having 20 minutes to say is not the issue. You can take me to virtually any passage, and I can give you an awareness of what it's about. But my, my prayer virtually every week is God help me to have the right thing you know I, I, I'm not worried about having something that could fill time but it's like what would the presence of God want in this moment what would he speak to our hearts so this week I, I'd been chewing on different things and, and I was kind of working on this idea that difficulty had been in every generation. Uh, even, even as Jesus was in this chapter, there are things going on behind the scenes. 
He's got the Pharisees coming to him at one point saying, you know, Herod, uh, he wants to talk to you. And the indication is, you know, he's going he's gonna to put you to death. He said, they're going, you better run. Now, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem where Herod has no power anyway. So there's other shenanigans going on. But uh, Jesus makes a comment. He says, well, the first day I'm going to do this, second day, the third day. I'm going to complete the task. And, and he's alluding to the fact that he's going to be on the cross. So he, he's letting them know um, there is more coming than what you expect. But one of the verses that stood out to me, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, I desired to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks and protects them under her wing. Jesus knows in his, his understanding that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. In AD 70, the Romans just wiped it out. So that's less than 40 years after his death and resurrection. He knows that time is coming. But already these people have dealt with Herod, a ruler that's corrupt, as we've discussed. They had been conquered by the Greeks in years preceding, and then the Romans, and they're still under Roman rule. So they, they have invaders in the land that they don't want and they are hoping that somebody is going to set them free that's one of the reasons people came to Jesus and then were so disappointed when he decided not to conquer the Romans because they're looking for this immediate release and I'm going and in some ways when we look around our country right now we're not sure what's going to take place next right we're not sure if we're going to stand uh, economically we're not sure if even we're going to stand as a, as a people anymore. We're not sure what's happening in the natural sense. But there's still this awareness. This has been going on for centuries and in people's lives, year after year for the millenniums. And so we're not the first ones to have these concerns. And Jesus is making a declaration. He says, yeah, I know all of this is going on. I know that Herod mixed the blood of the sacrifice with people. I know that the temple or the, the tower fell on people. I know that, that uh, the Romans are here. I know that Herod, you know. But he's saying, you have to deal with my message that can give you eternal life. And you have to look at things from an eternal perspective. And you're going to have to change direction away from your selfish ways to embrace what God asks of you. I started to tell that story about preaching because while I'm praying, this sometimes happens for me. I hear Luke 13. Now, I don't know how to describe that to you. It's just I get this impression and I'm going, it's strong enough, I have to look it up. And then I go through that chapter and I realize... The very verse that I've been looking at is there. And it's suddenly, it's clicking, and I'm going, okay. I'm at peace with what I need for this morning. Now, I tell you that not to say this. I'm saying God speaks to our hearts today. He addresses me one way, he addresses you another, but he speaks to our hearts today. He brings new life by His Spirit at salvation. 
He develops our character through the fruit of the Spirit. He develops the way we see things and move by developing in us attitude changes and value changes that we don't even know are coming. It just happens because it's the nature of being with them. He develops gifts within us that allow us to serve others. And, and so there are times when you are going to have impressions that you really don't know what's going on beyond that. You just know that you need to say something. And it happens and it works. And you're kind of, uh, was that God? I, I, I think so, because that didn't come from me. Or you start into a conversation and, and, and you're saying things, you're going, that sounds pretty good. I should write that down. I didn't know I didn't know that was in there. Well, why? Because God wants to be with you. And as long as you're willing to turn toward him, he offers that to each of us. This chapter ends with people will come from the east and the west, and from the north and the south and take their places at the banquet, the table in the kingdom of God. Some who are last will be first. Some who are first will be last. He says, it's going to happen from all over the world. And it's not necessarily going to happen the way that you think. But he says, there are going to be people participating in this from every walk of life. He looks on Jerusalem and he says, look, your house is forsaken. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He knew what was going to happen to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen to them politically. But he was challenging them, deal with your own soul today. And I put that out to you. Make peace with God if you haven't. If you are at peace with him, allow the fullness of his work within you. We looked at forgiveness for just a bit, and I'd suggest there are some here that need to release. You have been dealing with something that, that is ugly and shouldn't have been, but it still needs to take place. And sometimes you have to keep coming back and saying, I release this again today. I release it again this moment. But I, I want to say it will take place. And then to just be aware that there is this opportunity to walk through life, catching glimpses of his voice in your life in ways that you didn't dream possible. Wondrous, incredible, soul-affirming ways because he does want relationship with you. And he offers his spirit even in this day. Lord, I ask that you would be our strength and our hope. I ask that you would bring into repentance all who need to turn away from selfishness. I pray that you would bring healing and understanding to those that are sorrowing and wounded this morning. I pray that those that need to forgive and release that that would take place in a supernatural way. I pray, Lord, that, that as we walk in you, 
that there would be the fruit of your spirit coming out of our lives. I pray that there would be giftings that empower us to do what goes beyond us. Ask, Lord, that you would be our strength and our song. Amen. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the path of repentance that leads them toward you. As I, I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.